0: And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and Taylor Rockwell is still at the beach. But do not fret because today's guest is Carl Anker of The Athletic, who you will have heard on this here show many times before because he's our favourite Manchester United expert. On today's season preview of Manchester United, Carl and I talk about... Ole tactical setup which involves a handlebars of a bicycle analogy we talk about Romelu Lukaku doing some Christian Bale style method acting weight gain and weight loss we talk about the role of Paul Pogba the viability of a Harry Maguire Victor Lindelof central defensive partnership as well as many other Manchester United topics Carl also has a professional interest in Southampton Football Club. So if you're a saint, stick around for the latter part of the show where we do a sort of impromptu mini season preview of Southampton. Before you hear this Man United conversation, I want to make sure you know about our glorious spin off show, Soccer 101. Early listening numbers have been strong, strong enough for a brief spell in the top 50 of the iTunes charts. That's for all podcasts, by the way. But we also know from the numbers that not every regular TSS listener has given Socco 101 a try, at least not yet. So I'm here to say... Please don't delay, get Soccer 101 in your ears today. See, it rhymes, so you kind of have to do it. Whatever podcast app you're using right now, search for Soccer 101, click the orange logo, and away you go. A big and sincere thank you to everyone who is doing that right now, or maybe plans to do it after this episode. Okay, here's my interview with Carl previewing Manchester United's upcoming Premier League season. So, via the magic of Skype, I am joined by Carl Anker. Carl, welcome back
1: to the Total Soccer Show. Hello, it's good to be back.
0: Hello, and it's your first time talking to me, right? So you're not talking to Taylor, fellow Manchester United fan. Uh, you're talking to a neutral, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a different type of conversation, I think.
1: I hope so. Maybe maybe less tears. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, okay, that's a good place to start. Like, are you, are you expecting tears this season? Is that how you're feeling going into the season?
1: Uh, I'm oddly apathetic, so. Um I think and it's not an exact science obviously, but this is the longest odds Manchester United have ever been given to win the Premier League Ooh. uh in Premier League history. So I think Manchester United are forty to one um likelihood to win the Premier League, which
0: Does that feel right? So that's
1: that. Yeah, I feel right. I don't think I think um, unique vortex of things would have to happen for Manchester <laughs> to be uh contended for the Premier League title come spring. Yeah. Um Well, come Christmas, really, I think we'll be that done by then. Um, I think United are now in this weird zone where, if you talk to United fans, some of them think fourth is gettable. Some of them think fourth is going to be a melee between themselves, Arsenal and Chelsea. And then there's some Manchester United fans who are cautious about Leicester City and Wolves and the other... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm wow. I'm sort of straddling between the 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 last two camps. Okay. So, I don't think I don't think fourth is. I think fourth is is very much Manchester United's ceiling, and I think that it could very easily go wrong.
0: So if I offered you fourth um, right now, you take it. Oh yeah, bite your hand off. Okay. <laughs> what if I offered you fifth and the FA Cup? That's no, a t- that's a tough no, no. one, right? No,
1: fourth, thank you. Fourth is the most. I think fourth is the most important. I think what we've what you've seen from uh, the many many reports of interested players uh, and uh, Manchester United interest in certain players uh, over the summer and how a lot of those deals were. Oh, they were in for Dilikt, or they were in for Kula or they were possibly in for Player X but the fact they could not offer Champions League football right. um, turned them off. Now, in theory, I've written about this before um, for The Athletic, that in theory, one season in the Europa League is not damaging. Yes, you lose maybe 20% of your bonuses or whatnot, but one season in the Europa League is not the worst thing in the world. It's when you start doing back-to-back-to-back seasons.
0: Yeah, and you become that, a Europa League team.
1: Yes, that's it's what it's It's almost
0: a branding problem, problem right?
1: Yeah, it, they still say Thursday nights Channel Five, despite the fact <laughs> the European League has not been broadcast on Channel Five in over a decade in the United Kingdom. Uh, but
0: and for, for U.S. listeners not familiar with Channel Five, it's very much like the upstart network TV, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> It's not the first choice. It's not the first choice bid if you're a, if you're a competition. No. It's not exactly where you want to go. <laughs> um, you mentioned the Athletic there. Before we uh, get really deep into Manchester United stuff, um, you've been part of the big announcement on the other side of the Atlantic. The Athletic UK launched early Monday morning, right?
1: Yes, yes, we did. Uh, launched at 7 o'clock in the morning. Um, so very much want to take the Athletics US offering and, and bring that to to english football um, and a little bit beyond so there will be 20 at least 20 uh, journalists covering the 20 premier league teams Um, there will also be a number of championship teams covered as well uh, as is celtic and rangers in scotland uh ralph hogstein covers german football as well and we will have uh, a number of very very talented journalists across all teams offering things like tactical views Features and all manner of fun. So,
0: and I want to I want to let our US listeners know if you already subscribe to the Athletic because we we ran an advertising campaign for the Athletic and I've written a little bit for them as well. Um, if you subscribe to the Athletic already, this isn't extra, right? You just if you already subscribe, you just suddenly get all this UK content. I opened up my feed yesterday, and I was like, whoa, there's a flood, <laughs> there's a flood, a brilliant flood.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, one over 100 articles went live yesterday. Wow. Um, so we, so that's, I think that's every uh, on beat reporter with their why I'm joining piece. Um, so <laughs> did all you of those, run? I did write one. When, uh, can I ask you say, this?
0: When you when you write a why I'm joining the Athletic piece, do they tell you it has to include that phrase?
1: No, 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 no. I, I didn't. I don't think I used the phrase at all. Uh, okay. So I'm 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 going to be covering Southampton Football Club this season. Okay. Um, so I got to use. I finally managed to get to use the line. I'm taking my talents to the South Beach. <laughs>
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. I do want to ask you, you're in a slightly odd situation, right? A lot of the UK writers, I know you're based in London, right? Um, a lot of the UK writers were just, you know, UK journalists, right? Writing for the Times or Telegraph or the Independent or whatever. Uh, but you were already involved in the athletic soccer when it was just an American enterprise. Um, so do you have to move to Iceland or Greenland now and be sort of in the middle of the Atlantic or? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh- I moved. So I moved. I've moved to Southampton. Oh, you really um, have? Oh, on wow. a long, for the I've, job. I've relocated. I've relocated to Southampton to, to live to live there. Oh, uh, right. Meet fan groups. So talk see to the, people. You can see the uh, show Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's qu- quite a loud ferry that goes off every now and again when it goes off <laughs> to the Isle of Wight. <laughs> that uh, wakes me every morning, which guess, is quite fun. But it's, should, great. Should, it's great. I should
0: I should have realised that, right? Cause if you're going to be the beat writer for a major publication, you've got to be there and be around the club and be talking to the team.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's very much the intention. Uh, I have a very large textbook on Southampton football (laughs) club that uh, is split into pre-war and post-war. Fascinating.
0: So have you been sort of learning the the history of the team?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've I've done, I've done, more or less treated like a university degree, (laughs) I hope. Did you get a first? Um, I'm going to hope so. I hope so. I hope uh, if sometimes the fans are, are listening to this and they think my coverage is is missing something, please let me know. Uh, I've been on forums and I've been on Reddit trying to make sure I'm going to get myself uh, the right vibrational frequency for everything. And I'll be at every home and away year, uh, fitness permitting as well. So... So, very
0: exciting. So maybe um, towards the end of today's show, do you mind if we dip into Southampton stuff just a little bit? Because we're not going to do a full Southampton show because we're going to run out of time this week. We're just doing kind of the big six plus maybe Wolves. Uh, but I'd love to just get your th- initial thoughts on Southampton. And I'm sure our Southampton supporting listeners would enjoy that too. Sure thing. All right. But first, let's talk Manchester United. Um, yes. So we've talked about your sort of feelings going into this season. Um, I, I guess I want to start with the transfers. So Harry Maguire, Danny James, Aaron Wamba bissaka Am I am I missing anyone?
1: No, I think that's that. Obviously, you've got the returning low knees, um, including Axel from Aston Villa, who I think will probably slot in quite well at centre back. That was a really good. Before Harry Maguire was confirmed, I would, have... if you'd asked me to pick my preferred first eleven, I probably would have had Axel in there as right. uh, the. Send the back-to-pair Victor Lindelof.
0: So what, um, what do you think about the potential Harry Maguire-Victor Lindelof partnership, which I assume is going to be the starting pair, right?
1: Yes, yeah, I very much think um, Harry Maguire will take Chris Smalling's spot in the um, back four there. So for the, ma- the majority, well, you mentioned like Chopped and Changed, I think they used over 20 different um, versions of a defensive personnel last season. Um, some of that included playing midfielders like Scott McTominay and Ander Herrera in a back three or a back five yep. as well as changes with um, whatnot. I remember um, Ashley Young
0: playing right centre-back at one point in a back yeah, three.
1: Right. There was a lot there was a lot of chopping change but there, in the spells where United looked their most settled it very much seemed as if Victor Lindelof and Chris Smalling was both Mourinho and Solskjaer's preferred centre-back pairing. Um, and I think that will most likely small and mostly unfortunately drop out of that to be replaced by Harry Maguire.
0: What so what do you, how do you see that as a partnership in terms of like uh various attributes complementing each other? Is it does it I know we haven't seen them play together yet because Harry Maguire only moved what yesterday? Uh but do you think it's gonna be a good fit based on their the the pair's attributes?
1: Listen to my voice. Okay Yes. <laughs>
0: There's some optimism in there.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire is a good, too great centre back. Yeah, in a modern game. He yeah, is, as an
0: England fan, I've enjoyed him for England.
1: He is he is Champions League quality. Um, so he could play for any team in that top four, and he would start, I believe. Um, I very much enjoy how he's dominant on set pieces on both sides, both attacking and defensive. He's got. He's very, very tidy in possession. He knows um, to uh, to brush off a uh, certain John Barnes lyric. He knows when to hold. He knows when to give. He knows when to <laughs> do at the right time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm old enough to get that.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Um, I, I think Harry Maguire is, is a good center um, duck. I think anyone that is having doubts over the fee, very much. The way I've explained it is Harry Maguire... Being costing eighty million makes more sense when you think if Virgil Van Dijk was available now he'd be one hundred and fifty million.
0: Yes, and it's it is an Sorry. oddly similar situation in that Southampton didn't want to let Van Dijk go, Leicester didn't want to let Harry Maguire go, so the price goes up, right? That's just the market. If you don't want to let him go, you have to pay what seems over the odds to to make the club release him.
1: Yes, uh, and also I think Virgil Van Dijk going for seventy five million really was the first. Proper signing that made everyone wait a minute. We should be paying loads of money for centre. Yes, for centre- yeah. Um, I've said this before about Kyle Walker. So when Kyle Walker went from Spurs to Manchester City for fifty million, everyone, everyone went. That's a ridiculous amount of money. And I said, well, we've never seen fifty millions worth of fullback before. Yeah, it's the first one. And I think Virgil Van Dijk was the very first. We've never seen seventy millions worth of centre back before. And Virgil Van Dijk exceeded expectations to the point that. He, like he stopped being the benchmark for centre back transfer fees the moment he was that, he proved how good he was. Yeah. Um, and it's a thing. I think if I went to Liverpool right now as Real Madrid or as Bayern Munich and whatnot, and I went, how much for Virgil Van Dijk? And for, if for some reason Liverpool went, yeah, okay, we'll sell him, they would probably quote something close to 150 million.
0: Yeah, that makes plus, sense to me. Yeah.
1: so Virgil Van Dijk is maybe worth 150 million. Does Harry Maguire costing 80 million make sense? I yes. Think,
0: I think if United you know have the money and that's the going rate and that's the player they want then I think it's fine. And I always feel like it's not a good idea to judge players by their price tag. You should just judge them by their performance, right? Cuz not yeah. least because transfer fees are all about like how long's left on your contract and this and that, like you know, a player can be free and still be a massive disappointment.
1: Yes, very much so. <laughs> a player can be free and can be worth uh, exorbitant what I described Kamikaze wages. <laughs> <coughs> <laughs>
0: So the, um, the one knock, the knock against Maguire that I keep reading is that he's not that quick, right? So I guess the question I have for you is, is Lindelof fast enough to make up for that?
1: Possibly. That neither, neither man is what I describe as rapid. Um, okay. Victor Lindelof, So one football fan I saw uh, described Harry Maguire as Tesco's finest Phil Jones, <laughs> which I thought was... That, It makes you chuckle.
0: Again, for Um, U.S. listeners, Tesco is uh, a grocery store. Major, major grocery store, right? They just cut some jobs, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Their their finest section is sort of their deluxe on-brand section. (laughs) The things Harry Maguire is good at, he's very, very good at. The things Harry Maguire is not so great at, yeah, you can get embarrassed. But I think that has less to do with Harry Maguire and more to do with the nature of defending in the modern era of football. It's not that I don't think defenders are any worse than they were in the 90s and the peak areas of Serie A. It's just that very much now we put defenders in positions where they are very likely to be embarrassed. Like when you look at Vincent Company, Vincent Company, a key part of his game was, I have to sprint out, out of the back four to make a foul on the halfway line for Manchester City, just in case that player got past Fernandinho. Yeah, That was a key part of his game, which meant... In the occasional mark where someone got past Vincent Company, there was a massive hole, and then Vincent Company looked like a bit of a fool because <laughs> oh, when he first, when he used to have the athletic ability to chase back towards his own goal and make the tackle, fantastic. When he didn't, that's when people started having their question marks about Vincent Company. I never ever want to see Phil Jones run towards his own goal because that means something went wrong. Yeah, I don't think. And I think Harry Maguire is a bit similar. If you're seeing Harry Maguire run towards his own goal, something's gone awfully wrong, and I don't know if he's going to be able to recover in time. So you see more
0: his defensive style is more stepping out and winning things.
1: Yes, yes, and that, and that he's very good at. Yeah. And he will probably he's he's the best centre back on Manchester United's books on Manchester United's books right now. He's the most comfortable centre-back in possession, I'd say right now, because Victor Lindelof is perhaps just a little bit too green. Um, there's, plenty, there's plenty to be optimistic about in Harry Maguire signing. And yet.
0: And yet. <laughs> Wait, one final question on the Maguire-Lindelof partnership. Is it fair to say that they are both ball-playing centre-backs and that that's not a thing United have had for a long time? Because, for example, Chris Smalling famously, Southgate didn't fancy him because he didn't, like, he didn't rate his ability to pass out of the back, right, for England? Uh, so yes. I see this as maybe a change in, at least an approach or a change in personnel that lets United play out of the back a little bit more, or at least more. Current, absolutely,
1: absolutely. This is the first time Manchester United have had two ball playing centre backs since those times Rio Ferdinand was playing with Johnny Evans.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because Vidic's not a ball playing centre back, right? So it was no, all no. In, I
1: don't, I don't right. think, I don't think we could ever called him that. was good at many things, but a ball playing yeah. centre back, he was not. He was a ball, um,
0: a ball clearing centre back.
1: Yeah, very much. Uh, which again, Nemanja Vidić, another defender, very, very good at the things he wasn't good at. The moment we found one thing he was he was bad at, he was embarrassed by Fernando Torres.
0: Yes, oh yes, I remember that day. I'm sure he does
1: too. Once, <laughs> yeah, once players found out if you attack Vidić on his ins- inside shoulder, that was that was the beginning of the hang on, um, and that's the nature of modern defending. You can get th- through a lot as long as no one finds out your poker tell and. Like, <laughs>
0: I never thought of it that way. That's a really good way to think of it. Yeah. (laughs) You you talked earlier about £50 million fullbacks. Um, Now Manchester United have one, right? In Aaron Wan-Visaka, signed from Crystal Palace. This, uh, apart from the fee, this strikes me as a very... Danny James as well strikes me as a very Alex Ferguson-feeling signing. Right? Like, sign a really good player from a mid- to lower-tier Premier League team.
1: Yeah. Sign a really good player from a mid-tier... Premier League team, and keep them on your books for a decade. Yes. There is... If everything goes well, Aaron Wan-Bissaka will be a Manchester United player for 10 years, for, for five to seven years, I should say, because contracts will probably change and whatnot. Yeah. He was a mild phenomenon last season. Yes. He was a real... He was a, a fullback in the truest sense of the world, in that he, he, he defended... It wasn't a fullback that was. Oh yeah, he's got a great attacking game, but he's defensive. He's got defensive um, fragilities. But no, he he was truly one who who stopped take-ons and, and got his clearances down. And obviously, this comes with the caveat of he was playing at Crystal Palace. There is less impetus for him to get forward up and down all the time, out whipping crosses. Yeah. So that will be a bit. Um, that will be interesting to see what happens at Manchester United, especially a Manchester United side like, that is particularly weak on the right-hand side, uh, delivering crosses. Um, am, I,
0: am I perceiving Wambasaki per incorrectly? Because I think of him as when he did get forward, he was really dangerous. Uh, am I just remembering a few match-of-the-day highlights and not, not the entirety of his season?
1: He was fine. I, I, he's not Trent Alexander-Arnold, right. but very few <laughs> players is- in Europe are. Uh, he's not Trent Alexander-Arnold, he's not Kyle Walker. He, he is very much, I'm going to do, I'm going to make sure I get my half of the pitch locked down. And I say half is in the defensive half, yeah. and then anything else is a bonus, which is great. And and very much what Manchester United need when you consider the fact that their last right back was Ashley Young, and the right back previous to that was Antonio Valencia. So it's <laughs> it's, it's good to have someone who's going. I'm a fullback. I'm going to do fullback things instead yes. of I'm playing fullback because I'm not a good winger.
0: Yeah, there we go. Or oh, because I'm because I'm over thirty. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about Danny James? I I have to confess I haven't seen much of him, but there seems to be. A sort of low-level excitement about Danny James, the winger signed from Swansea.
1: He is an intriguing one. He's, he's, uh, he's the least exciting um, of the signings, not to do anything with technical ability, but he very much took me as someone who should be one more for the future. He's incredibly quick, um, incredibly quick, deceptively strong. So he's not the he's not the biggest he's not the biggest gentleman, but he's not gonna he's not gonna Get bullied off the ball too easily. He came alight towards the the latter half of Swansea's season last season after building quite a a fruitful partnership with their striker. He's more comfortable on the left hand side, which is why I'm slightly, I don't want to get too excited about him because he, you know, there's Alexis Sanchez, Anthony Martial, sometimes Marcus Rashford who all operate on the left hand side and want to cut inside. And that's, that's where Daniel James prefers to play. I think for the majority of the season he'll, if he does start he'll be asked to operate on the right-hand side which could work but uh anyone expecting him to be a 10 to 15 goal a season forward may be slightly disappointed he he'll be someone to probably get you uh, maybe 5 to 7 be a good steady Eddie uh, and then will possibly a, a light uh in after the winter break, which I keep reminding myself, there's a winter break this
0: year. I forgot. Yes. Yeah, so, um, was it like a couple of weeks around the FA Cup?
1: We do. There's a winter break and there's VAR. It's it's going to be fun, isn't it? Yeah. I,
0: I've always, I mean, I've always thought winter break. Would, again, I'm kind of, I'm a Wolves fan, but I'm England national team first. And I've just heard managers ask for a winter break like since I was born. <laughs> and so to finally to finally get it, I, I think is really interesting to see what happens. Um, yeah. So. So, Danny James, how many games do you expect to see him play? Uh,
1: I'll expect to see him play at least 20.
0: Okay, that includes Uh, coming off the bench for 20 minutes as well.
1: I think he'll get half an hour and whatnot. I don't think he's going to... I'll be really interested to see his minutes compared to someone like Talith Chong and Mason Greenwood. Yeah. Um, Because if James is going to be... Favored as a as a as a prospect on the right hand side rather than left. He goes from competing with Anthony Martial to competing with the homegrown academy players, which is its own uh, unique problem for Manchester United.
0: What, why do you call that a problem?
1: Oh, it's a fun problem. Obviously, Manchester United and Manchester United's ideals of having homegrown academy players in all of their Manchester United squads. Um, so it's the do you want to use your shiny new signing or do you want to blood the youth?
0: I see. I see we're interrupting the Man United preview to talk to another oh, Man United fan. It's Taylor Rockwell at the beach. That's your full title now. Hi, Taylor. <laughs>
2: Hello. I, I, I mean, you can go Island Taylor if you want to go short. Island Taylor. I
0: forgot <laughs> about Island Taylor. Are you, have you still got that? You're not actually on an island, right?
2: No, not at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're on a tax no. island in Delaware. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that, is,
2: that is very true. The state where uh, the only thing they enforce, like... They don't enforce banking regulations, I guess, but they do really care about dogs on leashes. My wife and I were uh, riding bikes with our dogs today, and I like dropped the leash as I was like uh stopping to like put the kickstand on the bicycle and got a scream from like a hundred yards away. I'm like,
0: "Is your dog on a leash? I was like I don't know really? what's going on anymore I
2: don't know what the- yes, but by all means, uh you know embezzle funds here' because that's fine.
0: Was that the authorities or was that just a sort of nosy nosy neighbor?
2: Yeah, it was, it was a nosy white lady, yeah.
0: Nosy white lady. It was Becky.
2: <laughs> yeah. Barbecue it, Becky. It, it was.
0: Vacation it was. in Delaware. She had a straw hat on, if that,
2: if that tells you anything. And she had <laughs> uh, like a 150-pound fuzzy dog that absolutely loved the 90-degree humidity, I'm sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, no, that poor dog.
2: Uh, exactly. It's like, Love. worry about other stuff. Put your dog in the shade. Leave that alone.
0: poor dog. Well, while you've been on vacation, I've been thinking mm-hmm. about the numbers um, I've been thinking about statistics because today's total soccer show is sponsored by our friends at FB com, the football reference site, FB Ref, You heard about them during the women's world cup. They are back on the total soccer show.
2: They are. And they are very, very useful. Uh, I was using it to look at, like, Everton's team as a whole, just to see what had happened and who did what last season. And it's really nice. You can do that for any team in the Premier League, looking at uh, who played how many appearances. The one I was really fascinated by, like, but minutes per appearance, just to see which players played the longest, most consistently, and that, what that tells you. But there's lots of other little things in there that you can find to uh, to be – excited for the new season, and then you can also know your friends by being very pedantic. And when Daryl says, oh, I think he had like 13 goals and five assists, i will be like, it was six assists, Daryl. Please, come
0: on. <laughs> so you look forward to doing that. But you won't cash of me course. out because I also use fbref.com. See, so the during, the women's, during the Women's World Cup, we obviously we focused a lot on the Women's World Cup stats, but mm-hmm. that's not all they offer, and they have all kinds of European men's leagues, including the Premier League. That's what I've been looking at. I had a good look at who was producing the most for Manchester United. And do you know uh, Man United's sort of top goal scorer and top assist creator?
2: Top I mean, I'm assuming uh, own goal was up there. And then <laughs> one of the players that they sold somewhere else who's now productive.
0: It's Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba led oh, okay. the way with 13 goals and 9 assists. That's more than, more than Lukaku, more than Rashford, more than Martial, more than any of the strikers. 13 goals and 9 assists uh, for Paul Pogba.
2: But you know what, we got to get him out because he's got weird hair. And that's, uh, <laughs> that's how it works now. That's how it works.
0: I think he's staying, right? I think he's staying. Here's another, another Paul Pogba stat for you. 50 shots on target throughout the season. Um, 50. Fifty five zero shots on target throughout the season. That all right, then. that led the way at Manchester United. Um, it was also mm-hmm. the second most in the entire Premier League last year. Fifty shots on Two target more, from Paul Pogba. Yeah, Mohamed Salah had uh, uh, had sixty yards. but everyone around him, everyone below him, was in the forties. It was like Hazard, Kane, uh, players like that. They all had like forty or so. Uh, Fifty shots on target for a midfielder who often played quite deep. Um, so that speaks a lot to Paul Pogba's willingness to shoot. Let's put it that way.
2: (laughs) It does, but they're on target as well, which, which says something about the accuracy of his shooting, which I'm, I'm kind of surprised by not because I think of him as inaccurate, but mostly because you don't think of him as shooting that often last season, but maybe desperation, uh, makes strange statistical bedfellows, I guess.
0: And I will bet a bunch of those shots came in that, that golden period, like, uh, on today's show, Carlinco calls it the interim yeah. Ole period, where <laughs> yeah. we're always good in the world. And Paul Pogba was on fire, right? So I'm guessing most of those goals and most of those shots on target come in that period.
2: Um, so this this ad is probably coming about halfway through that interview, uh, which I have obviously not yet heard. If I've done my job uh, right, Lichita yes, now yeah. heard. Uh, approximately half of it, if I were guessing. Yeah. Um, What was Carl's mood overall? If you were going to give like a summary on the first half slash just an overall summary to me, what would you go with?
0: Um, He did use the phrase, I would bite your hand off for fourth place.
2: Okay. I mean, yeah, that's that's fair. That's definitely fair.
0: (laughs) I think that pretty much sums it up. (laughs) Yep. Yep.
2: I still, I'm just choosing not to pay attention to anything until I get back. uh, Partially because of laziness, but also because... Like every time I open Reddit now, there's just a new absurd transfer or rumor or both, uh, and I don't, yeah. I, so I'm just gonna wait and see what happens uh, and see where the dust settles at yeah. the end of the transfer window.
0: Actually, so you know the transfer window closes on Thursday uh, before yep. the, before the season starts. Um, there are already moves happening that might ruin some of the previews. Like I I think we had a really good Spurs preview with Nathan A Clark. Yep. We didn't talk about Dybala at all, and at time of recording mm-hmm. this with you, there's a very strong Dybala to Spurs rumor happening.
2: Yeah. There's at first, but then there's also I've seen an equally strong uh, ericsson to Man United rumor. Yeah, which feels I think like the two might be related. Not, yeah. not linked. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> it's almost like the Devala move maybe fell through for Manchester United, and so they look somewhere else to find a replacement. And then that club is now looking for a Devala replacement in the form of Paulo Dybala. So and, you know, and actually, it all works out.
0: On today's show with Carl, I don't know if you've heard it yet or not, listeners, but we do talk about the the potential of Christian Ericsson to Manchester United
2: yeah okay alright I'm excited for that one yeah uh, I also am excited to have a new game show with you Daryl that we're going to play at our next live show called Pablo or Paolo <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you the last I'm, I'm going to give you the last name and you have to tell me if they're Pablo or Paolo
0: that would not be fair
2: <laughs> well I think I just did it with with uh, with the gentleman who may possibly be moving to Spurs from Juve <laughs> <You mean> Paul- <laughs> and I'll leave it at that
0: Paulie Dybala Paul- Paul- Paul. <laughs> Money and Polly. <laughs> P dim That's pa- what I call him. Polly Walnuts Debala. <laughs> there we go. I believe you've got some Everton stats for me as well from EveryRef.com.
2: I do. so as I said I was looking at uh, uh minutes per appearance. Uh Jordan Pickford, obviously, the the leader there with ninety uh per appearance. But the the player that was uh second on that list, I guess joint top. Uh, Michael Keane, I Mm. I guess that isn't as surprising because you've got the center backs in there and it does tend to go that way, but I was mostly surprised by Gilfie Sigurdsson notching 82 minutes, which to me is like, does that mean he can't go those final 10 minutes? Yeah, 82 minutes is his average minutes uh, per appearance. And I'm wondering, does that mean he can't go those final 10? Like, that's where he gets extra sloppy? Or does that mean that, like, he is the tactical sub when Everton are winning or trying to see out a game?
0: Well, it won't be released just yet, but I've just recorded an Everton preview with Mike Goodman um, Mm -hmm. of statsbomb.com. You know Mike, right? We met Mike in a city that we were in, Philadelphia. (laughs) Philly, yeah. And he talked a little bit about how... Gilfrey Sigurdsson is, even though he's the number 10, he's the most tactically sacrificable player for Everton. Because, oh. ev- because even though he's the number 10, he's not necessarily that creative in terms of making things happen. And everything else still happens, even without Gilfrey.
2: Okay. All right. So there there you is. go. There's You've got your answer.
0: Point. Yeah. And there's a teaser so of the Everton preview.
2: Statistics and then the Everton, expl- or the, the Everton expert explains the statistics. And that's what it's all about. That's how we like FB Ref, because they give us the raw data. Uh, from which we can extrapolate things. Is that
0: how you pronounce it?
2: I will see... Because da- like the plural, the plural of data is data, right? Which is always what's confusing. Or is it datum and then data is the plural? No, plural. the plural is
0: data. The plural is data. <laughs> I'm
2: certain. Is it data. It's not, da- is it data? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect.
1: All
2: right. Well, you don't need to worry about any of those things uh, when you go to FBREF, but you can not just go there and look at all
0: the statistics they have. FBREF
2: com. We very much appreciate FB Ref. And Daryl, are you still checking out their
0: newsletter? Um, Actually, no. I signed up for the uh, the Women's World Cup one. I don't mm-hmm. know if they have a new one. I probably should have figured it out before doing this ad. There is now just uh, uh, the FB Ref newsletter. Yes, it's in the nav bar. I'll pulled it up on my laptop. There here. Go. Um go. Mm-hmm. If you click on that, there's the StatHead newsletter. The StatHead football newsletter will still come to your inbox. I guess it just won't be Women's World Cup focused anymore.
2: Uh, Yeah, probably not. Although, you know, you never know. Maybe they're going to continue to update stats. One thing they are updating, uh, if you're listening to this, chances are you uh, access websites in English. But if you prefer another language or you're trying to learn another language, uh, you can uh, use FBRF in, uh, it appears, according to my laptop here, uh, Portuguese, English, uh, French, Italian, uh, German, and Spanish. They were written in their native language, so I was about to say Deutsch, and then I realized it's just German. (laughs) But yes, uh, you got one, two, three, four, five, six possible languages. Uh, to sort from. Again, I think just kind of looking at raw data allows you to uh, do them whatever language you want.
0: But the numbers are all in the same language, right? Still Arabic, numer- Arabic numerals is I believe what we call them. Number language. Number is is what it's what it's language. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, fbref.com. The link will be in the show notes. Thank you to FB Ref for sponsoring today's show. Taylor, any final words before we send you back to the island?
2: Uh, no, that's fine. I'll, I'll go back to the island. That, that's where I will feel the, the most best about Manchester United. Uh, in the coming season so yeah I'll go back to the island and drink a pina colada and contemplate life with or without Romulo
0: Lukaku (laughs) and then let's get back to the interview with Karl Anker Uh, alright we've talked about three players that definitely came in as we speak there's a Christian Eriksen rumour that started yesterday or the day before and it's rumbling on this morning Um, what do you make of the potential Christian Eriksen signing
1: there is enough smoke there for me to believe there is the beginnings of a fire um, I am all in on Christian Eriksen I, I think he's been one of the best players in the Premier League for the last three or four seasons Yeah. Um, I have been on multiple podcasts and reported saying Spurs fans were chuckling when Barcelona decided to buy Coutinho when what they should have bought is Christian Eriksen I think he was that good and I think he was absolutely the player Barcelona should have bought and would have been I think the middle three of Christian Eriksson reputation busquets would have been phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I am, con- this is not the, this isn't this version of Christian Ericsson is not one that excites me in the way that previous ones have. This oh, is what, a Christian Ericsson with right? a lot of miles. He's got a lot of miles on the clock. I see. It, so it's not, um, yes, he's 27 years of age. He's played enough football that puts him closer to thirty in footballing years.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, he got a young starter at Ajax, right?
1: He got a young starter at Ajax. He he got a young start and also he was he was at times like for Tottenham Hotspur last season just visibly exhausted. Right. Because he he was you know, Harry Kane Harry Kane got injured, Son got went down and went off to, to to the Asia Cup as well. So uh Dele Alli Ali wasn't Delhi in the way that we first saw him. So for, for quite a while, Christian Eriksen was the premier lock picker for that Tom Hotspur side. Right. A Tom Hotspur side that likes to press aggressively uh, and, and be do all, all action moves. Tom Hotspur didn't have much of a midfield for last season, so they were doing what is described as air raid attack, where <laughs> you've got to get the ball, you progress the ball vertically up the pitch as soon as possible to make up for the fact that your midfielders are Suzoko and Ericsson, um, which put a lot of effort on Ericsson and he was really, really tired. Um, Christian Ericsson is better than any other midfielder in Manchester United system books right now, other than Paul Pogba.
0: So where, I would, he, think, where would he fit into the, the Man United team right now?
1: It strikes me as right now, Solskjaer wants to play a four-three-three. 3 3 or a variant of a 4-3-3 three, three going into a four-two-three-one. 2 three, one. He, he very much wants overlapping fullbacks, at least one out-and-out out, number six defensive shield, a sort of free box-to-box role for Paul Pogba. I say box-to-box. Paul Pogba, maybe the middle and the attacking third. Yeah. Um, and then I suppose there is a version where it's Paul Pogba, Christian Eriksen, and Nemanja Matic as your midfield three and Christian Eriksen will take this well basically you ask Paul Pogba to do slightly more defensive work and you tell Christian Eriksen to play a bit further forward
0: I could see that working I I quite like the idea of Pogba arriving late you know Mm. so I think I think that could work or launching attacks from slightly deep you know what I mean like I love his big his big big diagonal balls that he plays or his big through balls that he plays so I don't Uh, think Pogba deeper in midfield is necessarily a bad thing that's what France did right in 2018 and that kind of worked
1: It kind of worked. A lot of, obviously, France did it because N'Golo Kante was behind Paul Pogba. Yeah. Whereas for Manchester United, it's Nemanja Matic behind Paul Pogba. And Nemanja Matic was... Last season's version of Nemanja Matic was one of the worst versions of Nemanja Matic that we've seen. He is 31 years of age on decline. Um, And I think that's a bigger problem. It's Manchester United are buying good players or linked to good players in what should be... Position so right back, centre back, right wing, but there is a gaping hole in midfield that needs to be addressed. And they've kind of is it, it Andra Herrera not, shaped? It's under Herrera shape, it's Nemanjimata shaped. it's Nemanja Matić shaped? Nemanja Matić shaped. And they've sort of lucked into not having to sell Paul Pogba, but it's also Paul Pogba shaped. I don't know where Paul, Paul Pogba will may have a great season this year. He's going to do the Eden Hazard, Luis Suarez. Cristiano Ronaldo, all right, I'll give you one more year of high performance and then you guarantee me my good deal next season. Right. Seasons. He's going to do one of those. So I have no reason to believe Paul Pogba was going to not have his heart in it. I do believe Paul Pogba has a problem where he wins the ball somewhere in halfway line, bombs forward, looks right, looks left, doesn't have any options going forward, tries something, gets depossessed, stops, and then the Matic, who's supposed to win the ball back for him, doesn't cover him and he's like oh no <laughs> <laughs> and until you can address that problem of we need someone else to give him the ball and we need someone else to bomb forward so Pogba can get rid of the ball um, there's going to be a problem in, matches in like midfield for a long time
0: so do you have no faith in say Fred or McTominay
1: Fred very much I think Fred's great um, Fred's performances for Shakhtar Donetsk against Manchester City led me to believe he is a uh, baby Fernandinho. And I think Fred. Uh, Fred's problem last year was the fact that he isn't as good at Paul Pogba at doing those things. And that's probably Fred's best p- position. He wasn't a fan favourite like Ander Herrera was. Uh, and he wasn't of the right academy lineage that Scott Metonome was. So he sort of floundered in this weird half space where his best position is probably Pogba's position. Mourinho is beefing with Paul Pogba and then it got into this weird thing of are you here to play with Paul Pogba or to replace him because I can't tell okay I think I think Fred was an unfortunate casualty in the civil war between well I don't think it was a civil war I think it was just like a, a weird lack of hugging between uh Paul Pogba and <laughs> Jose Marino
0: <laughs> and it it looks to me like Solskjaer even though it, I think he's been Open to the idea of Pogba leaving through all the Real Madrid rumours and all that. He's also seems to have done a good job of not saying anything inflammatory and not putting any distance between Pogba and himself and Pogba and the team. So it seems like Solskjaer has done a good job of threading that needle and making Pogba's sort of uh, recommitment, even if only for one year, to Manchester United very, very easy and very, very possible.
1: Yes, and by, by many accounts, Paul Pogba is a well-liked figure within Carrington. He, yeah. He- it's hard not Doesn't, to like him,
0: right? He just seems like yeah. such a like a happy-go-lucky uh, kind of guy.
1: He is popular with not just playing personnel, but he's also popular with with catering staff, with fitness coaches. Yes, and, I've heard. Uh, that. Does a large degree of charity work as well? So and he's always, you know, he's a senior player. If Manchester, if someone has to talk for Manchester United for five minutes, Paul, and no one does it, Paul Pogba will, I'll do it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So that's that. So Pogba is very much professional. I don't think he's going to, he's not the type of person to turn for the start of season overweight or be undermining Solskjaer's uh, tactical nous.
0: Yeah. He's definitely not going to be overweight. I've seen him, I've seen the video of him doing sprints in Central Park in New York.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And that make. I think that makes Solskjaer's job that much easier. Because also Paul Popper, in that very, very intelligent politician way, Paul Popper never explicitly said, I want to leave. Yes. He said, maybe it'd be time for a new challenge. And there is a version of events where everything goes well for Manchester United. They get back into the Champions League and they win some silverware. That going, that was the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> but that's me being especially especially hopeful.
0: Yeah. What, what about Romelu Lukaku? I, I remember oh. last summer, I was really excited. Even as a non-Man United fan, I was really excited by the video of Pogba and Lukaku very obviously being very good friends and being on holiday together. Um, and me thinking, oh, two best buds playing together for Manchester United. This is going to be great to watch. And then it didn't quite work out that way. And now what, Lukaku's training with Anderlecht?
1: Yeah, that, that makes me sad. That video where Lukaku tells Pogba in French, I'll see you at training. And then Pogba goes, what? And he goes, I'll see you at training. And they just hug. I was like, yes! <laughs> um, it didn't quite work. I think, well, one, one big thing for, for Lukaku last season was that he... Gain too much muscle weight. Oh, interesting. Uh, so, obviously, you know a lot of the jokes and a lot of the, the Lukaku plays football like he's wearing jeans. Um, Twitter jokes and sentiment came about from the fact that he, I don't think Lukaku realised how much different running around with thirteen to fourteen stone on you is different from running around with twelve stone. So, <laughs> could, you,
0: could you convert that to pounds for our US listeners?
1: Oh, right. Uh, is that like
0: fourteen pounds to a stone?
1: 14... St- so Lukaku was visibly bigger than he <laughs> at the start of the season. Um, All right, we
0: hear you typing it into your computer right now. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. L- Lukaku Lukaku went from being uh, a small boxing cruiserweight to being a borderline heavyweight, shall I say. I think very much the intention for, for Mourinho was to... I mean, the original plan was to, to, to get Lukaku, to get Ivan Perisic. Perisic would constantly whip in crosses for Lukaku to score off. Yeah. When Perisic didn't come... Um, Mourinho brought in Sanchez and kind of went, maybe uh, Sanchez could cause enough disruption and getting enough balls into the box that Lukaku could play well. That didn't quite happen as well. So then I, I get the impression that Lukaku, who wants to be a winner, and Mourinho, who wants to be a winner, went, can you do this all by yourself? And they went, okay, for me to do this, I'll probably have to get stronger. And it's one of those things where at the start of the season when he really couldn't, he didn't seem to be able to control the ball the ball control problem wasn't the fact that, you know, his foot is broken, but with the fact that he seems to have problems speeding up and slowing down. Mm. So he had egg- and the that extra muscle. A momentum problem. Yes. He, had a me- he very much had a momentum problem. There was one where basically the ball was static and he ran in so quickly, he fell over it because you could see he stopped and then the extra muscle weight sort of propelled him forward. And he went, hang on, what's all this then? So- he got better
0: this is a, I, I had a, a weirdly similar experience this year where I lost a lot of weight very suddenly mm-hmm. um like like twenty pounds or so really suddenly and I tried to play soccer and everything was off like e- everything I like went for was like off by a foot or so so you have to like when you have like a rapid weight gain or weight loss I think you have to recalibrate Everything. Um, mm-hmm. So this is a really good explanation for Lukaku's problems. Like that, I really it really resonates with me as someone who's experienced something similar in the opposite direction.
1: He mentioned words the effect. I think after near the tail end of Mourinho's time at Manchester United, about how he had to stop eating meat and move to chicken and, and move to um, not chicken, move to <laughs> the fish and move to fish and vegetables. And, and lo and behold, he had that little scoring glut, um, notably the one against Paris Saint Germain. Um, Lukaku is a good to great striker. I have no doubt that whatever football club he goes to next, he will be a 20 to 30 goal, striker, uh, goal a season striker for them. Um, is there no chance he,
0: he stays? Because, I mean, the, people may not remember this, but the transfer window closes like Thursday, right? Thursday night yeah. before the start of the season. So if he hasn't gone anywhere by Thursday, he's still a Man United player.
1: He's still a Manchester United player. And I, I'm, he will be welcomed into default easily. Um, again, Lukaku is, is a fantastic professional. The fact that he's decided to train with Anderlecht. What, what's happened is, obviously, I think he's he's just in Belgium right now. He's gone, well, I have no idea where I'm going to be playing next, so I may as well keep training rather than just sit around Manchester and wait for what happens, Yeah, um, which speaks to his professionalism. and speaks to how dedicated he is that wherever he will be at the start of the season, he wants to be at peak condition. Um, so that's quite nice.
0: Um, I don't know if we've said this specifically, but can I assume that he's been losing weight and going back to sort of
1: a, a more normal Romelu shape? He looks smaller. It it's very hard for me to to explain well, I spent a lot of time staring at photographs of Romelu Lukaku last season. He looks <laughs> a lot smaller. He looks a lot smaller now. All right.
0: So yeah. potentially getting his career then. Um, yeah. final thing I want to talk about is some like some of the I would call it almost the the deadwood at Manchester United that they're kind of stuck with. I'm thinking specifically of Sanchez, Alexis Sanchez, and his half a million pounds a week wages. Um, is is Sanchez kind of like a player they're trying to get rid of or is Sanchez someone who we should expect to see a lot of this season for Man United?
1: Sanchez as the, the Arsenal version of Alexis Sanchez, the, the supercharged street fighting man is gone. <laughs> oh. um, and... What's really interesting and something that I don't think is addressed enough is the effect, the cumulative of, is the effect of the back to back Copa Americas yeah. in uh, 2015 and 2016 upon world football. Um, oh, so Chile, Chile
0: made the final both times, right? They may even win it both They won 2015
1: on penalties against Argentina and they won the Copa America centenary, centenary in uh, 2016. It had a massive knock on effect. Uh, for a number of South American footballers. Edison Cavani had injury problems. Nuri um, Suarez revealed this summer that he's basically been playing with a busted knee all season. Um, you, can't, you can't do back-to-back summer tournaments, yeah. especially ones that involve that many hours worth of, of, uh, of plane travel. So not only is Alexis Sanchez 30 to 31, he's also played... A ridiculous amount of football, running a lot. In the, he's in the um, red zone, as Arsene Wenger once described it as. Where Wenger yes. said, I, "I can't control Sanchez, even when he's not meant to be training, he's still running." He's got much like Wayne Rooney. He has an incredible amount of miles on the clock, and similar to Wayne Rooney, is he didn't adapt his game or has not made enough steps to adapt his game so that when he loses his physical edge, he can, you know, maintain his uh, qualities. At uh, football's top table,
0: so does, that mean just, does that mean he's no good to Man United anymore?
1: No, no. I think he's. I think his efforts in this summer's um, the, the really fun thing is we're doing back-to-back Copa Americas again. <laughs> um, so obviously we had one in Brazil. We're going to have one in, Ch- in uh, Argentina uh, next summer, which again will have very fun knock-on effects for all of world football. One thing I will recommend to any anyone listening right now: uh, be very careful about Liverpool's attack at the start of the season because all three members of that attack were playing football well into July.
0: So Firmino, Cup of America, Salah, Africa Cup of Nations, oh, and Manu. Manu. Yeah. yeah. So
1: please, please bear that in mind if you play fantasy football or anything else. There there are a good six to 12 players who are, you know, in Champions League contending teams that are playing deep into the summer because of, obviously, we had had the Nations League as well. So please, please be mindful that, the Premier League's table will look weird for a little bit. So put all um, your money
0: on Jadon Shakiri and Rian Brewster.
1: I would put if, if you gave me a 10 I'd put some money on some Chelsea players, really. Ah, um, interesting. Well, one of the fun things we had last season was Jorginho looked amazing at the start of the season. And then we got the international break and everyone got to sleep. And everyone went, <laughs> oh, wait, Jorginho's kind of slow, but no one noticed because he didn't go to the World Cup.
0: Right.
1: And I think we're going to have another version of that for the first five games of the season. But uh, with Sanchez, I think Chile played him in a more central role, got a lot closer to goal. So almost as a 10 in a 4-3-3. Huh. And that seemed to get a little bit more extracted from him. So I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Sanchez was played uh, in a more central position or was experimented on. In, experimented on? If they, <laughs> Let's not do that. Yeah. Or if, if they tried playing him <laughs> on the right. But I, I, the Sanchez that will score 20 goals a season and give you 12 assists doesn't exist anymore. Oh, the Sanchez okay. that gives you 10 and 10 is possible. Because again, he's a great professional.
0: So let's get into the uh, the style of play under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You mentioned it's going to be um, a 4-3-3. Do, is it going to be sort of three central midfielders and a, then a number 10 and then like two forwards ahead? Or is it going to be a 4-3-3 with like two wingers and a striker?
1: The, the really interesting thing about Solskjaer is he changes it when he plays away from home. Um, so when United went on that during interim Solskjaer, where they were unbeaten uh, and include the Paris Saint-Germain victory, um, the really notable thing, this was pointed out by Pat Nevin, um, and then later sort of tweaked by uh, journalist Daniel Story. Basically, uh, Solskjaer plays two up top, away from home. Yeah. He does what we call a, a split striker system. So um, at any point in time, the person who normally operates either on the left or the right spins forward and joins the sole striker as an almost four-four-two when the other man is in possession. So if they're attacking down the left, Martial will push forward and join Marcus Rashford, where Romelu Lukaku or Jesse Lingott sort of plays as the right midfielder. And if they're attacking down the right, which happens a little bit less, the opposite happens when Lukaku pushes forward and joins up Marcus Rashford. That worked for a while, and that is sort of Solskjaer's solution to the fact they don't have an orthodox right winger because Romelu Lukaku is fantastic on the right. He's got a very good crossing ability and yeah. Roberto Martinez proved that as well with um, the efforts for Belgium against Brazil during wow. the World Cup. Um, so that that's one interesting quirk about Social playing away from him. And I think that's going to be, it's still going to be quite profitable um, in the season going, from, going forward. Uh, I've got reason to believe that, Kieran McKenna and Mike Phelan have a, they desire United playing in a system that has overlapping fullbacks. So fullbacks that bomb forward, that one reason, Wan-Bissaka will be encouraged to get forward a lot more. They're going to, Luke Shaw, hmm, his sprint totals were weird, weren't they? <laughs> uh, apparently, Luke Shaw is not as fast as wan Matter. I found that, that particular. Um, so Luke Shaw and Wan-Bissaka or Diego Dallo um, will be encouraged to, to, to overlap the, the attackers' one going forward. Um, there is an intention to have a double pivot, so at least two of the central midfielders will be asked to sit um, in defence. So that could so be Pogba
0: and Matic, as you talked about earlier.
1: Yeah, it, one of one of them will most definitely be Matic, and then it, it remains to be seen who else will be doing that. And then what they, he, I think he wants to do, uh, for fans of FIFA, he wants to do a, one, uh, a one-two heavy uh attack. So he wants to do loads of quick passing triangles. Uh, so loads of one twos, loads of overlaps. Anthony Marshall might be experimented. Experiment why do he keeps using experimented? <laughs> um they may experiment with, with putting Anthony Marshall at the top of the attacking sphere again if uh Rashford uh is not performing as well. So I think one thing you could look out for is Marshall playing as another nine again, which will be interesting.
0: So one thing I didn't follow correctly is, uh, are you saying there's a different shape away from home versus at Old Trafford? Uh,
1: Different tactical profile. So United will play in a 4-3-3 or play in a variant of a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 throughout the season. Um, But what happens away from home is... uh, How do I explain this? In the four-three-three, three, if they attack down the left-hand side, it will spin. Right, the front three will spin round to turn to a four-four-two.
0: Because the right so, winger will come and join the striker.
1: No, the if they attack on the left-hand side, the right wing will drop back and become the right midfielder. Oh, midfielder, I see. I see. Along, so it's, it's
0: about not overcommitting when you're away from home.
1: Yes. Got so on. it's a way to get two up top, but you don't overcommit, and it. it with, well, Pat Nevin called it. Um, Pat Nevin said he goes to up top, and Daniel Story called it the split striker system. Um, and it's sort of like on a, on a three-person level. So when they go down the left, that's what happened, and then when they go down the right, again the left-hand side person drops back, and the person on the right-hand side of the four-three-three three, or on the right-hand side of the three of the four-two-three-one pushes up and becomes a second striker.
0: Got it. And then if I'm following correctly, then at home. It's not so cautious and the wide player on the, what I'd call like the, the opposite side to where you, where United are attacking, isn't asked to drop back. Is They instead join the attack at home. Yes. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. Got it. And if I can understand it, then hopefully our listeners can understand it as well. And the way <laughs> yeah. I
1: always describe it is I sort of imagine like, if anyone here played rugby, if you could imagine like a fullback system or a pulley system in a back three, so, or, to cancel that imagine you've got bike handlebars when you want to turn the car right um, obviously you push the car forward on the right and then your left handlebar comes back to join you I see Things like that yes. if you're turning a bicycle that's what's, that's what's going on when they're attacking now on the flank uh, every time but that happens a lot more away from home
0: I think the bicycle analogy will work better with our US listeners than the rugby analogy. There you go. I did that one. What about um, defensively? Um, I remember you talking to Taylor last year about how United were pressing a lot more under Solskjaer and then got tired and I think you essentially said that was one of the major reasons for the downturn in form towards the end of the season. Um, I mean, one, am I remembering that correctly? And two, do you expect United to be a pressing team this season?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Very much so. So, uh, people that those close to the club described the warm weather training United had before the Liverpool game as pre-season two. Um, <laughs> uh, and then obviously basically Solskjaer unfortunately overworked all those players. They got five soft tissue injuries Oof. against Liverpool. Jesse Lingard went down and Herrera went down. Marcus Rashford had a swollen ankle. uh sanchez went down as well yeah basically yeah, four to five players have to get got broken um because they just had been overworked and they they never regained that form one in part from the fact one reason is ban herrera was broken and he was really important to, to how that midfield worked
0: and he was ready to uh, leave right so i think that was part of the yeah part of the problem
1: um match will press they're not gonna they, they won't press with with the aplomb of yeah. uh Match of the city or with the organ with the diligence of the Liverpool, but I think they're going to they're going to operate on a more dedicated press um, I don't think they're going to be hunting for transitions in the same way that some of the teams that do press lower down the league hunt so um one thing that was particularly interesting last season was uh Southampton, another team that went from not pressing under Mark Hughes to pressing on Hassel Voodoo um, was uh, they were pressing, but not very well because he didn't obviously didn't have the preseason to tell you. Now you press and now you don't press. Yeah. And I think that's what we're going to see a lot in early starts of Manchester United, where they all press, but perhaps they won't press at the right time. Um because these things take time yeah, give it six weeks I reckon
0: okay um, is there before we quickly talk Southampton if you've still got time I don't want to take up too much of your time if you've got any, anywhere else you need to be uh, so let me know if you need to get out <laughs> be- before we talk Southampton is there anything about Manchester United that I haven't asked you about that you think is really important for the season I don't want to leave any stones unturned
1: um, no it, it's, it's a truly bizarre season um, this, this I, I've, I am a child of the 90s, uh, and this is the very first time I've gone into a Manchester United season going. There, there is absolutely no chance, no way in heck that they're <laughs> going to compete for the league title. Even even when David Moyes was the manager, I still thought, yeah, you know, united are still the champions. They've they've got a good chance of, uh, of being there or thereabouts. They'll finish right. third.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You're just used w- to it, just being being that way, right? I mean, I was used yeah. to being that way for the 90s and through the 2000s and beyond.
1: So this is, this is truly parts unknown. Um, and also, I, I really want it to go off for of social, but I don't think it would. Where's my director of football?
0: Where? We haven't talked about the director of football, right?
1: Where is the director of football?
0: Is it, is it a priority for... Like, media and fans seem to really think Manchester United need one. I think Manchester United need a director of football. Do Manchester United think they need a director of football, based on your understanding?
1: Manchester United need a director of football. They could not find one that wanted to undertake that job for the money that was offered.
0: That's so weird, given how much money United have.
1: Yes, but I, I think very much the understanding is if I, I think I said this on a previous podcast. If Manchester United, if you give them option A, do it properly now, or do it properly for the long term future, or B, do it properly for do it okay for the next three years, and it's cost effective. They will take option B. I see.
0: Um,
1: I, think, I think United are still in a place where they'll take short-term competency over long-term expense.
0: And, um, and my understanding is it's essentially, it's not really Edward would being the director of football. He has people, I can't name them, but people who work underneath him who are kind of doing the director of football job. Is that pretty much the correct take?
1: Yes. So, uh, Solskjaer and Mike Feudan have like a quasi-director of football role where they now they have a lot more control over transfers and uh, player recruitment and player moving players on than say a Jurgen Klopp or a Pochettino or an Emery uh, right. because there is no director of football so Fielen and and Solskjaer seem to be across both strands which you know in the 90s that was very much part of the course that's what you did but it's not the 90s anymore it's 2019 so it's peculiar
0: is that the problem that ferguson was such a dominant figure and sort of really ran the club from top to bottom right uh that united maybe got ingrained in that way of thinking that the manager is like this old school manager who does everything so it's weird for them to then transition to a a more structured approach where the manager is the coach
1: yes i think so and also because they didn't replace david gill as well david gill former chief chief executive of Manchester United and it was very much it was yes Ferguson did everything but also Gill was there yeah, who also backed Ferguson to do everything and they both left together yeah they left at
0: the same time right
1: yeah and there was problems there neither man has been adequately replaced and I don't think either man will be ever because the more time goes on you realise they were complete anomalies
0: Okay. So let's quickly switch to Southampton. I won't take up, uh, like, we're we'll, we'll do another <laughs> hour on Southampton. Uh, but I, I, mean, I haven't paid as much attention to them as two other teams. So what's happened this summer for Southampton? I understand Hasenhutel came in halfway through last year, essentially saved them from relegation, got them pressing effectively, right? It looked very, uh, it looked very y towards the end of the season. Um, what's happened in the summer? What's the most recent page of your textbook say?
1: <laughs> the recent, most recent base says things are good. So they are unbeaten in preseason. They've won all five games. Um, their new signing, Che Adams, has scored in three of their five preseason games and won a penalty in the fifth one. Um, it seemed to be a relatively good preseason tour. One of the games was in Macau um, due to what I will politely describe as spon- sponsorship obligations. There we um, Whereas the majority of the, of the squad. This got split in half on someone over to Ireland for for fitness training and someone to Macau to play that friendly. Um, They are pressing really well um, in the first 20 minutes. So I think Southampton will play with a really good, diligent high press in the first 20 minutes. And then obviously fitness and quality levels will uh, explain what happens in the next 60 to 70 minutes of a Premier League football game. Um, they look well placed to return to football's middle class. So you know, you think there's a top, there's a top six. Then you've got West Ham, Wolves, Everton, Leicester City, and then hopefully Southampton as your next five as the middle class. Um, Watford as well. I should probably put Watford in there as well. So yeah. that's that's your next six. And then anyone below twelfth really is always in danger of getting relegated. Unfortunately,
0: is, is Sharon the only, the only signing?
1: They signed. Uh, Djeppo, uh, who was at Afcon duty, so he's not yet been properly in- in- integrated into the, the side of a preseason. But he's, he's looking lively in, in the 20 minutes he got in preseason on Saturday. Um, there is a lot to enjoy about their play. Uh, it is very fun watching a team that knows how to press and want to press.
0: Is there something, is there something specific about their pressing style that, like, you, know, that you could highlight?
1: Um, they've got a, they've got a really interesting. Uh, it works out on the left hand side particularly. Also. So they've got Nathan Redmond, yeah, uh, big fan, Ryan, big fan of Redmond, and Ryan Bertrand on the left hand side. So Redmond at one point was was the hot young England 21 thing. Ryan Bertrand, former Champions League winner, no, that would never get old. I need to say <laughs> uh, former Champions League winner. So th- those two work really well, and there are points in time when they attack forward where Bertrand is working as a left winger. Um, close to the left wing because that's how good that press works uh, and in those first 20 minutes they, they are a flurry of information um, they really like attacking um, the half space between if the centre back is in possession and the centre back very clearly wants to play the ball to the full back so one member of the front three of Adams Danny Ings and Redmond is stood there going I dare to do it
0: <laughs> I dare you
1: <laughs> um, which and the great the great thing is because it's Southampton, there's no guarantee they're going to get it every time. Yeah. So yeah, I, I quite I quite enjoy watching a press being operated by not Champions League level players because sometimes it goes wrong anyway. But you, you, sometimes when it goes wrong, you can really appreciate what happens. Like oh, they're all standing left because more of these players are right footed, so they're going to try and do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, are they still going to do the um uh, there was a famous sort of documentary i'm not sure if it aired in the uk but it aired over here um about southampton's you know youth system and the uh, i think it was the black box is where they they had this sort of cr- crazy video setup to, to analyse all their youth team players. Are they still committed to that or is that uh, gone by the wayside? Have they had enough of bringing players through only to sell them to Liverpool, for example?
1: <laughs> Don't mention Liverpool. It's their first home <laughs> game of the season. Um, so I imagine be, it'll be a quasi-derby of sorts. Um, the really interesting thing about Southampton this season is, is they've sort of changed their recruitment area. So Southampton has a very interesting uh, catchment area in the, in the United Kingdom because... So you get, I think you're meant to get sort of like 10.5 miles radius around your club as a. This is where you're allowed to draw players from immediately into the academy. Because Southampton goes immediately into the sea, <laughs> being, they've been they've been They've been gifted a satellite zone in Bath and Somerset as a. Oh. Here's an extra bit. So that very much was where they drew players from historically. Um, immediate Southampton region and Bath and Somerset. There was a really well a really interesting comment that no one really analyzed properly from Alan Pardew when Pardew went over to Newcastle and he said, um, the education level, the, he said, Newcastle Academy players are less tactically erudite than Southampton ones because Newcastle is a more working class area than the area from Southampton, which was a real Are you sure about that? Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was, it was a very Pardew. This is my excuse for not doing my job properly. Um, so that was what, what traditionally happened in Southampton. What's changed now is um, they're still doing that, but they're also making moves in uh, France, Slovenia, Germany, and Austria, and other area and certain areas of London um, as they're looking to expand their academy. So, um,
0: Is that based on Hasenhutl's connections or knowledge?
1: It's in part based on Hasenhutl's connections, and it's in part based on... Uh, a change in ownership who have basically said what's the effect of well it was reported in the guardian uh, and it very very much southampton say we operate by buying players for six million and then selling them for 25 million yeah um, i, I watched there's a very good fan forum that went live on the 18th of july where um one member of uh southampton football club the business said um if we want a player we'll, we'll go out and get a player but if a player is quoted to us as more than 15 million we will stop and really really think about it mm. um, so i think that's very much their their modus operandi. We will
0: can you can you tell me what's up next for the your athletic stories uh in terms of southampton stories
1: um i'm researching something really interesting in regards to uh historical kids. Mm. Um, so it's their ten, It's the 10-year anniversary of when Southampton started the season in League One with a negative 10 points. Oof. So you imagine, you, you think about how far they've come since then. Um, we're we're going to try, try and, I'm going to try and talk to some fans that remember that season. And uh, take things forward from
0: there. All right, that sounds good. I will look forward to reading. I've got my subscription, so I can so I can read it. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, I want to say thank you for taking uh, so much time to talk to us today. Um, I know with the new job, I'm sure you're very busy. So I really do appreciate you taking time to talk to me.
1: Oh, thank you very much. It's been a
0: pleasure. All right, and best of luck to Man United and to Southampton this season in the Premier League. Oh, thank you. <laughs>